0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It is great to be with you again today uh, on the most listened to podcast on immigration in the known universe. Is that correct, David? If David says so, that's good. enough. I have with me today a special guest. We have Raymond Port with us today. Uh, Raymond, welcome.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Uh, Raymond is actually a paralegal with our firm, but more importantly, Raymond is just been named as one of the twenty five most influential Asian American Asian Americans. In Georgia, That's congratulations, right. Congratulations, Raymond.
2: Thank you so much. You can't see Raymond's
1: honor. face, but Raymond's like 25 years old or 22 <laughs> years old. How old are you, Raymond?
2: I'll be 25 in less than a month.
1: Man, so Raymond is 25 years old. ready. imagine what you'll be when you're 50 or <laughs> when you're as old as David, whenever that is. That's, that's an ancient name. Uh, but congratulations. We're very excited for that. Thank you. Uh, now, Raymond is from the Philippines. Raymond has a very interesting story uh, because, Raymond, uh, you have DACA. Right, Is that right, uh, and you've been very involved in the movement, both on in-state tuition here in Georgia, uh, as well as in the rights of, of immigrants here in Georgia. Um, that's right. And uh, tell us a little bit about your story.
2: Sure. So I came here to the United States from the Philippines when I was one, and my family actually entered on a skilled worker visa. So my dad was a physical therapist.
1: Was that an H one B visa?
2: H one B. That's right. Um, and at the time, it was a lot easier to immigrate to the United States as a physical therapist than as a physician. And so he decided to forego his dreams of going to medical school in order to become a physical therapist and bring my mother, who he who he had just met, um, and I to the United States. And mm-hmm. so we came in 1994 when I was about 15 months old, to be exact. And for about 10 years, our family lived our own version of the American dream. We uh, went to school. We played with our friends. Um, we, My dad practiced as a physical therapist, and my mom did a couple of things here and there. But when I was 10, that was when... Um, Our green card applications were actually denied.
1: And do you know why they were denied? Do you understand today as a paralegal and immigration why they were denied? Back then you probably didn't, but now you probably do.
2: Back then uh, I had an idea of it, but but I didn't understand really the law behind it. See, what happened in 1996,
1: Congress changed the law. Right. uh, And they required an English language component. To the what, what in this case was a physical therapy uh, a green card, which is a very special kind of green card back in the day, which still exists today, by the way. Uh, but that test was hard.
2: Yeah. And your dad. He, he took it over and, and over, over again. He, just, mm, couldn't he just couldn't pass it. Eventually.
1: They just denied the green card.
2: That's right. All right. And and so he, we filed an I-485 application for adjustment of status, and uh, USCIS, or at the time was INS, Mm -hmm. uh, kept issuing requests for evidence for that visa screen certificate, Mm -hmm. uh, proof that he could speak English well enough to practice physical therapy.
1: He was actually a physical therapist during this
2: time. He was. Doing the job. He was. It's just a stupid
1: test was honestly a very difficult test. Right. It didn't really test whether somebody was a good physical therapist.
2: Right. Right, And so, after that, my family uh, fell into the shadows. we We um slipped through the cracks and our green card applications were denied, and we had to make a very difficult decision. Do we stay here in the United States uh, without lawful status and and risk every single day being arrested and deported back to the Philippines, or do we just cut our losses and go on back, even though by this point my my parents had another child, my younger brother Ryan, mm-hmm. who actually turns twenty one uh, in about two weeks.
1: So that's a magical date as well for your parents then, that's not right. for you, but for your parents. That's right?
2: right. Yes. So when my brother turns twenty-one, thankfully, he will be able to petition for my parents as an immediate relative. Um, he is a U.S. citizen, um, and when that happens, we'll file their adjustment of status application again. This time within <laughs> uh, within the laws of family-based immigration, <laughs> and we should have a pretty clear-cut pathway for oh, them I to be able to get you guys their green are cards. Be golden.
1: It's just now. Now we know. Uh, how long it's going to take is somewhere between ten to eighteen months. Right. Uh, whereas under Obama, that was taking four to six months for right, a green card. Right. So the, the, the Trump administration is pushing that out. But that that leaves you in a very interesting situation because your brother could sponsor you, right? He could. Yeah. How long would that take if your brother sponsored you for a green card?
2: So right now, so it it depends on uh, what the Department of State says in terms of the availability of an immigrant yeah, but more visa. more
1: or less. How long is it going to take for a Filipino to get a green card from his brother?
2: So right now on paper, it's about 25
1: years. Actually, it might be that on paper, but in reality, it's about 165 years. Right,
2: because of the backlog and the right. retrogression.
1: So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. So really, your brother's not going to be able to immigrate you. Um, so you were, uh, you were grateful in 2012 when President Obama finally bowed to the pressure of youth like yourself, um, who were literally shutting down his campaign offices around the country in June, in May and June, you guys were doing exactly what the civil rights movement had done. Uh, to bring attention to the issue and
2: force political leaders to pay attention because Obama had
1: broken his promises on right.
2: this. So how did DACA affect you? So DACA was an incredible force for good in my life. So for the first time ever, I was able to come out of the shadows. I was able to apply for a work permit, which allowed me to work legally here in the united states something i wasn't able to do before and here in the state of georgia with that work permit i actually was able to get a driver's license
1: now when you when that happened you would have been about almost 19 years old
2: i was 19 so you yes. were a freshman in college uh well, not the, quite yet the announcement happened the summer between my freshman and sophomore year All of right. college so
1: now you have a very interesting college story as well I because uh, you had done extraordinarily well in high school i did right so what did it end up getting you
2: so, uh, in high school, actually, I, I graduated at the top of my class. I was a salutatorian. You're
1: one of the valedictorians. How are your, your calves? I mean, <laughs> this is an example of who DACA helps. This is it's amazing. So, so, you're a salutatorian,
2: and? And I, I went on and actually earned a full tuition scholarship to attend Mercer University down in Macon, where I grew up. Um, and so, at first, I... I was very thankful for the full tuition scholarship, but I really wanted to get out of my hometown. I wanted to <laughs> go somewhere like Georgetown or NYU, uh, both schools, by the way, I got into. Mm-hmm. But but neither of them offered me the, the financial aid, the scholarship money that I needed to be able to go to college. But the fact that I was able to go to college uh, was extraordinary to me in its own regard because all through high school, I didn't think that I would be able to go to college. Because
1: you knew what your situation was in high school. I you, did. You weren't one of those kids who turned 17 and said, oh, my gosh, I'm undocumented. You, right. you knew from when you were much younger.
2: Right, right. And and actually, back in 2010, I think it was, the University System of Georgia's Board of Regents had recently promulgated a policy that banned people like me from the top five most selective public colleges and universities in Georgia. And
1: normally, at, you would have been able to go.
2: UGA was right, yours. Right. Automatic admission. Right. And, and uh, before 2010, I think there were a total of maybe 110, maybe even less than that, undocumented students who were even in university system of Georgia schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of our colleagues at the office was actually one of those people that was attending Kennesaw State. because talking about Jessica uh, Colotto. And Jessica um, Colotto, yes, who, who has become somewhat of a household name among undocumented youth here in Georgia for... Um, for everything that she's done for the community. Uh, but I, I think even more relevant, or not, not necessarily more relevant, but also something to note, undocumented students in Georgia, even if you have DACA, have to pay out-of-state tuition at every single public school in Georgia that mm-hmm. they can even gain They can't get a scholarship.
1: To. So even if they finish this valedictorian in their class, they are barred from any scholarship, even presidential awards from any university or college in Georgia.
2: Right, right. And so uh, Mercer is a private school. And so as a private school, they can elect to give their scholarship money to whomever they'd like. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a full scholarship. I I went on and and started my freshman year in the fall of 2011. So this was months before DACA Mm -hmm. happened. With
1: Uh, no indication DACA was coming. Let's be clear. DACA, as an immigration lawyer who was very plugged into the D.C. scene, it literally came out of nowhere. I mean, there was a lot of pressure for them to do something, but when they announced it, uh, the week of the ala conference in we were in Nashville that year, I was like, Obama's doing what?
2: Right, right. So so it came out of nowhere. So at the time, um the the only thing we were waiting for was some kind of congressional action so uh, something that we had our eyes on was the Dream Act mm-hmm. this was a bill that was first introduced in 2001 by Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois and uh, Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah and Senator Orrin and Hatch he
1: he backed off his own bill but uh, yeah
2: right so so the Dream Act actually is is a bill that has been introduced in Congress over and over over the years and it would provide a pathway to citizenship for people like me but it's never Really had any kind of strong consideration in Congress, mm-hmm. and so this is what we were waiting on. And and apart from that, my, my uh, everyone was telling me to just go on and get married. Because uh, you could have you came in legally. I came in legally. And if You right? had
1: married a U.S. citizen, you could have gotten a green card. Right in in months at the time.
2: Right, but um, but I, I of course. I'm not going to marry someone just for the purpose of securing my immigration paperwork. She, she, that's she talks a lot all, about your right? integrity. Exactly. Right? Um, but it's always been on the, in the back of my mind. You know, like if, if I'm dating someone, <laughs> are they a U.S. citizen, right? <laughs> um, and this is this is something that undocumented people have to think about all the mm-hmm. time, and this is something that other people, uh, people with the with the privilege of being a U.S. citizen do not have don't to even think, think about. It doesn't
1: even cross their minds.
2: Right, right, but, but, I was very thankful to be able to go to college, and in college, I did everything I could to give back to the university that I felt gave me so much, so uh, I actually uh. I was on the mock trial team for three years, which I Oh, my I gosh, really you want to enjoyed. be a lawyer.
1: Oh, no, Raymond, what
3: can <laughs> we do? <laughs>
2: it, it has always been my dream to become a lawyer. That's right. Uh, I was on the Student Government Association. I was elected as a freshman senator right when I came into college. And by the time I was a junior, uh, my student body actually elected me to be their student body president.
1: Awesome. Just awesome.
2: So And during this time besides helping
1: in school, you were also engaged in a lot of activism at the state capital and even nationally.
2: Right, right. So um Actually, th- this is something that DACA really did for me. It-, it allowed me to come out of the shadows and to be a lot more outspoken and vocal about my immigration okay. status mm-hmm. and to kind of shed light on the kind of struggles that undocumented youth like me have to face on a daily basis. And so when DACA was first announced and when DACA was first implemented, I, th- I think I was granted my first DACA in October of 2012.
1: So you are one of the early appliers, like the August 15th or so right. when you could apply and
2: right. uh, they
1: approved you relatively quickly. Quickly.
2: I was one of the early appliers, and and now um, it's important to note. I think that that work permits and dacas are, are taking a lot longer to approve now. Well, than there they are
1: there are still people who applied for their initial DACA prior to Trump ending it in September 2017 that are still waiting on the decision, right? I mean, you're talking, at this point now, eight or ten months. Right. Uh, now, part of the problem, of course, is that there has been a lot, there's been at least some level of fraud that have now recently been discovered here in Georgia, and I imagine in parts of the country. Uh, but these are kids, for example, we have a couple of cases that we filed that are still pending as well. Right. Let's take a quick break here on the Immigration Hour. We're to come back in a minute and talk more about this with Raymond Portalon on America's Web Radio.
3: Soy Charles Cook, del Buffet de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay way. algo our que se puede We're hacer, we'll nosotros lo podemos on on hacer. Llámenos a las cuatro cero cuatro 404 816 seis ochenta y seis once. A las cuatro cero cuatro visítenos por internet a
4: www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Elena George. Join me Wednesday mornings morning, morning. from nine to ten a.m. for Medicine on Call, a show dedicated to exploring the medical, social, and political aspects of our healthcare system in order to find. Solutions.
1: All right, cool. Yeah, but the ones that we've done... Cook Immigration
3: Partners is your passport through the immigration maze.
1: Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national... Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
0: No. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration
1: Hour on America's Web Radio. It is great to be back again. we got Raymond Portolano with us today telling us um, what DACA has done for him. So how did DACA change you? How, how did that make you better than you might have thought you could be?
2: I, I think that the main thing that DACA was able to provide for me was just this safety and security, this this blanket um, of comfort that, that allowed me to really come out of the shadows and be a force for good for my community. So now I do everything I can to speak out for fellow undocumented youth like myself, whether or not they have DACA. I think that immigration is such an abstract issue for a lot of people in our country who don't have to interact with our immigration system on a daily basis. It's very abstract in the sense that that it's not very relevant to them. And so when people hear personal stories like mine, personal stories like um, those of of the five other DACA recipients that work in our office, Mm -hmm. um, people start to understand exactly what it's like to be undocumented and the kinds of struggles that uh, people like us face. And and people start to realize that we have a lot of the same values as people uh, with the privilege of being an American citizen. I mean, we,
1: you grew up in Macon, Georgia. Right. I mean, how, how are your values going to be different than anybody else who grew up in Macon, Georgia? Exactly. Your brother is a U.S. citizen. And both of them are, yes. I mean, so they're, they're U.S. citizens. How are they any different from you? Right. They're just not. Um, This idea that we should treat people differently because of where they were born in the context of their family in the United States who have established long roots is just – it's silliness. I've right. um, other words for it that I can't use on the radio, but uh, it's silliness that we are we haven't yet come to terms with this issue, and that there's been this 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 football that's thrown back and forth between the parties uh, about who doesn't want to fix this issue. Right. Now, I think both political parties that we have in America today can claim can lay claim to not fixing this issue. Right. Um, it's been interesting to watch the. Um, how the, the Democratic Party has changed on this. Um, I mean, I've been practicing immigration law for 30 years, and if you go back to 1990, which is the last time we actually looked at our legal immigration system, mm-hmm. uh, it was really Republicans, uh, who were, uh, pushing the envelope on how we were going to expand legal immigration to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, in 1996, uh, you had re- the same, different Republicans, but the same Republicans in many circumstances. Then, uh, asking to cut back that system mm-hmm. as part of IRA IRA. Now, mm-hmm. we were able to split off the bad parts of that bill, but we still ended up with really bad immigration laws that affect you and your family. Right. Um, but it was signed by President Clinton. Bill Clinton. You know, Bill Clinton lays claims to the worst immigration law in our nation. Well, not the worst. We've had t- more terrible immigration laws, but the worst modern day immigration right. law in our history. And yet today, uh, uh, you have, for example, George Bush, George W. Bush, who tried to fix immigration. A little late in his presidency, he tried to fix it. And Obama, who promised to fix it, who did nothing. Nothing. Uh, and maybe it, it perhaps put us in a worse situation today than if he had done nothing. Uh, now, we know that, that Obama acted on DACA. Because of the pressure on his reelection campaign right I mean, that 's quite clear there 's no doubt about that i mean i 'm not going to attribute any goodwill to him for doing that. He did that because he wanted to get reelected and there was, there, he was going to have a much higher bigger uphill fight if he hadn 't done that at the same time. you now have a Republican party that literally has just gone full on nativist uh, with with President Trump uh, shooting immigrants in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Uh, How does that impact you on a daily basis? How does seeing how uh, the President of the United States denigrates you and your parents and other immigrants, how does it impact you on a daily basis?
2: It's just a very dehumanizing feeling, you know. It, it makes me feel like less of a person uh, when when the president of the United States talks about how uh, immigrants who come to the United States are rapists or murderers or child molesters or other criminals. It, it makes me feel like I don't deserve to belong here in the only place that I've ever called home. But then I have to remind myself that that I am just as American as uh, the person who was born here. Mm-hmm. This is where I grew up. Uh, I hold same values as them. I um, I actually grew up right here in the state of Georgia, and, and um, equal to being an American, I consider myself a Georgian.
1: No, you actually pay taxes in Georgia.
2: Right. I mean, you don't, you don't get
1: exempted from taxes because uh, because you have DACA,
2: right? That's right.
1: So, you, so for example, you pay taxes that are used to pay for our public schools. Right. And yet, you can't go there. No. Even today, you can't go to those schools. I can't. So if you wanted to get a master's degree um, or a law degree from UGA, no. Nah. No, no you, you literally can't go. No, uh, even even graduating top of your class at Mercer, even said, "No, you can't go." Right. So you're de- so not only are you being deprived, but your potential fellow students are also being deprived of, of what you would contribute to that student body. Right. So, uh, it's it's really remarkable to me that and now we're in the midst of this political campaign here in the state of Georgia, uh, where there is no incumbent running for governor or for virtually any other office. It seems like everything's up for grabs, um, and. Uh, the Republican primary in Georgia has become really a focal point of, of anti-immigration
2: pretensions. Right.
1: Um, but give us your input on that. What, what do you think is happening there?
2: Yeah, so, so I think that with Trump's election back in 2016, uh, ca- candidates for office are, are starting to see that... That this kind of campaign strategy where you just kind of uh, dehumanize, dehumanize and, and demonize certain groups of people is, is potentially a winning campaign strategy. Well,
1: we look at, look at that, let's look at that campaign real quick of Trump. He has 16 people running. He was the only one. Well, other than Ted Cruz, I would say Ted Cruz was out there too, to demonize immigrants. Right. Now, Cruz didn't do it at that level, especially when we found out his dad ran the the, 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 the uh, was at the Bay of Pigs and was trying to assassinate right. Kennedy, whatever mm-hmm. crazy thing Trump said. But now at a local level and so none of them imitated Trump and they all lost. Right. So the idea is if you imitate Trump. You can win, right? That, that's what he
2: said. and I think that's what's happening right now uh, in the Republican primary right here in Georgia. We've got several candidates for governor who are really using, as you said, immigrants as a focal point. Um, which candidate will be the the candidate who deports all of the "quote unquote" illegal aliens that live in the state of this Georgia? This
1: morning, I was watching. I like to watch Morning Joe in the morning because they get a broad selection of people on that show from all political parties, and you know, Scarborough is an old Republican and conservative and Mika his now fiance is kind of a liberal but you get a lot of different points mm-hmm. so they go to commercial and, and what commercial is on the air but two back to back gubernatorial commercials one from Casey Cagle and one from uh, Kemp Brian Kemp I want to call him Jack Kemp but oh my god he's not definitely not Jack Kemp um, both attacking immigrants right um, now, Raymond, is, is there somehow – did I miss this new flood of undocumented immigrants coming to Georgia? Is that just passed me by somehow? No. It's just not happening, right? It's not. So what What, what are they so afraid of? What, what Or is it that there really are people who are deathly afraid of people who don't look like them?
2: I guess so. I think that what's happening here is people see these these one-off instances of undocumented immigrants committing crime in different places around the country, um, and they attribute those one-off instances of crime to the entire undocumented population, when in reality, the majority of people who are living here without lawful status are just trying to get by.
1: You know, there's a, there's a precedent for this that I'm seeing recently, and I don't know um, uh, if you've seen this or not, but have you noticed all the stories in the news recently? About how a Tesla crashed. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, I am interested in this because I'm getting a Tesla. All right. So, but there's been like four reports in the last several weeks. Did you see reports about the Ford crashing? No, or the Chevy crashing, or so this is this same tactic is being used to demonize a product, much like it's being used to demonize mm. a type of people. Right. Um. And this. And, and most people, if you're walking on the street, Raymond, could I tell? That you have DACA? Do you wear a sign or anything? Do you no. have a star do you put it on your chest or anything like that? So no, no. I can't tell you from maybe a Native American from the Cherokee tribe. No. I mean, I I wouldn't know where you're from if I didn't know you. Um, and yet somebody hates you. Right. Does that make any sense to you?
2: And and that's really what I don't understand, because people who know absolutely nothing about me uh, make these preconceived conclusions about who I am and and the kind of person that I am. For example, yesterday I I was actually uh, watching Michael Williams' Facebook Live um, about his campaign for governor. Now, Michael Williams is a former state senator
1: here in Georgia who has, in the past, actually helped us stop some terrible anti-immigration legislation right uh and he he actually owns I don't know if he still does a Mexican restaurant right. where I can in rural in rural it's rural South Georgia somewhere it,
2: it? it's in North Georgia I think. he's
1: they're not white people cooking Mexican food right all right so tell us now now that we know who Michael Williams is running for governor he's a long-shot candidate by the way right so
2: I, I think the latest polls have him at three percent
1: yeah so, so he's in three He has zero chance of winning but what, what did you see on his Facebook Live?
2: So, so I was just watching his Facebook Live, and, and something that really intrigued me yesterday and, and really appalled me was seeing these images emerge on social media of this this bus that he has driving around the metro Atlanta area that, that's been dubbed the deportation bus, and it's adorned with uh, Michael Williams for governor. It's an and old
1: school bus, painted green, right? Right. Like a, it's like a border patrol bus.
2: Right. It's an old school bus. It, it says, fill this bus with illegals, follow me to Mexico. Um rapists, criminals, murderers inside. And... Um, given my interactions with Michael Williams in the past, I, I really wanted to ask him, you know, what this, what this was all about. You know, did, did you authorize this bus? What's going on here? As you said, he, he's been an ally to us in the past, combating anti-immigrant legislation at the Capitol, even if it was behind closed doors. Um, and I just wanted to ask, um, you know, what, what, I wanted to ask him directly, what is your stance on DACA recipients in our state? What will you do as governor to protect people like me? And, he didn't respond to that question. It wasn't even asked of him. <laughs> of course, he's not going to ha- Facebook Live. So you typed it
1: in the Facebook Live. I did.
2: I did. Did they delete the question? Uh, no, it, w- it was there. Uh, but I'm surprised they,
1: they didn't delete the question.
2: I so. asked it several times. And I-, I kept getting skipped. Yeah. Um, for other questions like what are we going to do with the confederate monuments how are we going to protect them um <laughs> how are we going to protect the second amendment um and as i'm typing all of these questions in facebook live these other people who know absolutely nothing about me are hurling all of these insults at me like raymond you need to go back home to where you came from um are you an illegal uh, if you're an illegal you have no right to participate in our political process um and just things of that nature. People have n- no idea who I am. People don't know um, what the kind of struggles that I've had to overcome to get to where I am. But they still feel the need to throw all of these insults at me, and it's it's just unbelievable. I think.
1: Uh, now you also directed a uh, kind of a, a more lengthy post to Michael Williams on, right. on your Facebook page. Tell us about that.
2: Right. So actually, it. In 2014, there was a bill moving through the legislature here in Georgia, uh, Senate Bill 44, uh, that was sponsored by Senator Nan Orock from Atlanta, Mm -hmm. that would have granted in-state tuition eligibility for DACA recipients like me. Uh, I think it was being considered during the 2015-2016 session, and we were meeting with uh, Senator Michael Williams early in that session in late 2014 to talk to him about the bill and try and ask him for his support. And during that meeting, he expressed to us that he supported our cause and that he would try and do everything that he could to, um, to support us behind closed doors because if if we went up to his district, his constituents would never let him support anything like this. And he told us, you know, if if you really want to move somewhere on this, go up to my district and have conversations with the people that I represent. And I left that meeting thinking that um that Michael Williams was a good man that 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 he was a man of his word a man of integrity and that we could have a genuine conversation uh-huh. about the kinds of struggles that Georgians in our con- or Georgians here in our state face but after seeing um those buses driving around with his name all over it uh, I started to question whether that was reality
1: well I-, I sent him a message on Twitter and I asked him how much his soul cost Right. Um because I, I think you have to sell your soul to do something like that. Right. Uh to get into name calling, you know, the interesting he had no fix. He doesn't say, "You know what? I'm going to do as governor, I'm going to I'm going to visit the president. I'm going to visit my congressman and I'm going to ask they fix this immigration system on a win-win basis. Right. So that America wins, that immigrants win and that we can move forward with the system. That betters America. But I, I haven't seen that plan from You know why? Why? Because he doesn't have one. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio.
3: Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net.
4: This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to
1: the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Today we're talking to Raymond Portalon. Raymond, uh, now you are in the process of getting a green card. Right. Right. And because you are the beneficiary of a very interesting law um, that's a result of your dad applying for a green card. Tell us about that.
2: Right, so actually my dad... I think we started the process of applying for our green cards all the way back in 1996. Mm-hmm. So we came in 1994 on an H-1B, skilled worker visa, and we immediately began the process of uh, finding a way to immigrate here to this country. So, so the H-1B is a non-immigrant visa, right? So, so, uh, we wanted to apply for our green cards and adjust our status. So because we file, well, a petition was filed on my dad's behalf for which I was also a derivative beneficiary mm-hmm. at the time. I qualify for a special area of the law, um, called 245i, which allows me to adjust status here in the United States despite the fact that I've accrued what's called unlawful presence. Okay. So I've lived here in the United States without lawful status for a period of over a year. Mm-hmm. Now so I which
1: means if you uh, wanted to fix your status without this you would have to leave the United States for 10 years. That's right. as punishment. That's so, right. Uh, this allows you to stay here and what's the what what do you, what do you have to do to qualify for this besides apply in your case uh, before April
2: 30, 2001. Right. So uh, in, in order to apply for a green card right now, I'm uh, right in the middle of this process uh, under our employment-based immigration laws that allows our firm to actually sponsor me mm-hmm. if they can prove that I am the most qualified.
1: Oh, no, no, it's not what we're proven. Let, let's be clear. We're proving that. You are that that there are no lesser qualified people for your job. Here's right, what's interesting right. about the labor certification process: it's not designed to show you're the most qualified. Got it. It's designed to show you're the only qualified person for the job. Uh, we we have to run a series of advertisements uh, in which we say, "Here's Raymond's job." Apply for it. Here are the requirements. Apply for it. Uh, and, uh, the, and, and the way it works is if somebody who is the least qualified but still qualified applies, then we can't move forward. So it's a bizarre way of testing the labor market. If you're looking what employer in America, including us, hires the least qualified person that could still do the job. No employer in America does that. Uh, you're more qualified than anybody we've, we've seen. Uh, now, fortunately, nobody's really applied because – there's 3.9% unemployment in the United States. right? Uh, and we've been looking for paralegals forever, right? Uh, qualified paralegals. So we're going through this labor certification process right now, um, which uh, will ultimately end up showing the Department of Labor saying, you know, Cook Immigration, you're right, there are no qualified, willing, and able U.S. workers right now in Atlanta to do Raymond's job.
2: Right, right. And, and I am so thankful that our firm is willing to do this for me. We would do it for
1: every DACA kid. If they had this great, amazing benefit of 245i, which you have. Now, this law doesn't exist anymore, oddly enough. 245i was eliminated April May 1, 2001. But the law says, at least the current interpretation of the law, that anybody who was a derivative beneficiary of one of those applications prior to April 30, 2001, who was physically present in on December twentieth two thousand? Or I, I don't know. Your dad may have applied before ninety eight when there was a different two forty five I that um, you could just pay a thousand dollar fine right? Right. instead of going home for ten years. Right now, a lot of I have a lot of friends in immigration law. So you know, I can fix immigration tomorrow. Well, just bring two forty-five I back. <laughs> well, that would that would be the amnesty everybody's talking about mm-hmm. because that's really what it was designed when Congress first introduced it in ninety-eight for three months, and then brought it back in two thousand one uh, for for basically four and a half months. Uh, it was really designed to kind of clean up the messes mm-hmm. that had been created by Ira Ira ninety-six and some. Misjudging uh, uh, of, of uh, the Life Act, NACARA, uh, and even um, uh, 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 the amnesty provisions. It was just the Limgren's laws were a mess. So they figured, we'll just clean it up. Uh, so you're a great beneficiary of that. You know, there are probably today over a million people still eligible for 245i, and they don't know they can do what you're doing. In fact, you didn't
2: know. I did not know. Until I told you that right. you could do
1: this. Uh, right. And you would have just been sitting there on DACA thinking, oh, crap, what am I going to do when right. my doc expires?
2: When am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? So really, right. I kept,
1: you know, wait a minute, when are you going to get married? And I found out what your situation was. Oh, crap, we'll just do a 245-I because I would love to do this for Jessica, but we can't. Right. Uh, or, or Stephanie or Marisol or, 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 or Gabby, but we can't because they don't have this benefit that's out there. So this is really a, a wonderful thing that, 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 uh, that you can benefit from. Uh, so once that gets approved, we'll file an immigrant visa. Uh, which of course we can we can either wait the normal processing time of forever, uh, or pay the, the government pay the government to bribe of uh, twelve hundred twenty five dollars for premium processing, and then you'll file for adjustment of status. Right. So you're on your way to getting you're going to be fine. You're going to get your green card. Now, law school. Do you want to go to law school
2: one day? I do want to go to law school. It's, it's always been my dream. Actually, so I, I'm in the middle of preparing my parents' adjustment of status applications right now through my brother. Isn't that cool you get to do that? It, it's very cool that I get to do that. And uh, I've been going through all of their paperwork. They actually have a safe full of documents from the mid-'80s to today with all of their immigration documents. They've been a legal
1: now for a couple years, and... Everybody's got one of those safes, don't right. they, where they keep all their stuff? Right.
2: and Maybe it's not a safe. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an accordion
1: a folder. folder or mm-hmm. it's a
2: box. Everybody's got a box like that. Those are their, their sacred documents. Right, right. And and some of these documents in here are yellow now just mm-hmm. from, from time. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, my parents actually paid – Tens of thousands of dollars you see this, right? to immigration attorneys who promised them things that they couldn't deliver. For example, uh, when our I-485 applications, our applications for a green card, were denied because of uh, my dad's failure to respond to the request for evidence, um, there was an option to file a motion to uh, really? reopen or a motion to reconsider. Now, in order to do that, my my parents had to uh, present new and material evidence, right, mm-hmm. to support their claim that this case should be. Reopen, but the only thing that they could present that was new in material was the visa screen certificate. Right. But uh, there were several attorneys that told my parents that they couldn't do that because they didn't have the visa screen certificate. But then there were attorneys that said, Yeah, we'll do that for you. And they charged they just us. Took their money. They took their money. They charged us by the hour. Oh and my I gosh. was looking at all of these invoices um, where these attorneys were literally charging my parents uh, like half an hour. Um, because they left them a voicemail, yeah, and that was it. Point 0.5 uh, voicemail with client re right. Uh, right. It really is
1: outrageous uh, that there were lawyers like that. But you've now you've been you've been in the system now. There's people like that out there still, right? There's a lot of crappy immigration lawyers. That's right. Uh, who take advantage of people either through intention or because they don't know the law either. Right. Uh, you got a lot of lawyers out there that practice 18 different types of laws. Immigration is filling out forms. Right. I think you realize it's. F- Far more than filling out forms, the thing with your mom and dad is, you know, which they didn't know because you didn't know, they could have done two forty-five I at any time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Once your dad did pass that, I don't know if he ever did pass the visa screen.
2: He, he just, just gave up.
1: He just gave up. He just just couldn't do it anymore. But they could have immigrated through labor shirt, through any other process, right? Through a job as a janitor, uh, through a job as a nanny, through a job as a gardener. They literally could have done this, but. They had no access to a lawyer right. that knew the law to tell them to do that.
2: Right, and and you asked about law school. This is really – I've wanted to be an immigration lawyer since I was 10, since I became <laughs> That's undocumented. That's truly sad.
1: David's over here going, oh, my God, this is just truly <laughs> sad that uh, he wants to be an immigration lawyer. And just
2: watching these immigration attorneys take advantage of my parents, literally sitting at the conference room table with my parents and this lawyer um, and helping interpret for my parents no, – not necessarily interpret, but helping them understand – exactly what was going on in this meeting, um, I just thought to myself, wow, I, I really want to be an immigration attorney one day so that I can help people through situations like my own, through situations like my family's. And I'm confident that that with the labor certification process and the green card process that I'm in the middle of right now, that one day I, I will be able to go to law school and oh, I will be there's able there's to no become an immigration I attorney. I happen
1: to know people in law schools. Let me know. We have a, a lot of listeners that, that are professors at law schools and uh, that teach at law schools, and I'm sure you will have your pick of places you want to go. Right? Uh, do you want to stay in Georgia, or do you want to go see the world?
2: I do want to stay in Georgia, so that's, that's a really great question. So when I graduated from college, uh, w- one thing that I really wanted to do was go straight into law school mm-hmm. after college. I, I didn't want to stop my education. Um, in hindsight, I, I'm really glad I didn't go straight into college, but uh, at the moment, there are only a couple of states across the country that allow undocumented immigrants to be admitted into the bar. Uh, that list includes California, Florida, New York. I believe recently New Jersey and Illinois Correct. just made it onto that list. But
1: almost all DOCA kids, by the way, right? I mean, right. There are, there's one
2: that's not a it's just completely
1: undocumented out in California, but everybody else is a DACA kid,
2: right? So uh, I mentioned that because um, in order for me to be admitted into those bars, um, most people would say that you have to go to law school in that state. Most people would say. Yeah. And I, I just really didn't want to leave the state of Georgia. This is the only place I've ever called home. Mm-hmm. And so I decided um, that I was just going to wait to go to law school. I would start work instead. And right out of college, I ended up working for a local nonprofit here in Atlanta called Asian Americans Advancing Justice. A
1: remarkable uh, uh, community uh, group that's that's helped finally galvanize all of the Asian Americans in Georgia right. into a political force, I believe.
2: Right. And, and it was such a great privilege and pleasure to work for that organization and I even working here at at Cook Baxter Immigration I still support the organization as much as I can now with my time as we have
1: for years I mean it's a a politically relevant and really important voice in our community Uh, especially a community that has been voiceless you know one of the problems with the Asian American group is that Asian-Americans, that's like a third of the world, you know. That's not like, okay, you're Asian, Mm -hmm. but you're Filipino Asian. Uh, You could be Indian Asian. You could be Southeast Asian. You could be uh, Chinese Asian or Japanese or Korean. And those communities are all vibrant here in Georgia. Anybody who's driven up and down Buford Highway here in Georgia knows, oh, my gosh, there must be a lot of them here. But they have been
2: voiceless. Right. Um, And I think the organization does a really great job of lifting up that population. And in 2016, um, I led and managed our entire voter engagement operation. And our organization at the time was instrumental in helping to triple the Asian American vote in Georgia. And we actually registered over 11,000 new voters across five states in the southeast. Which is
1: enough to change races at the local level. Right. Absolutely change races. In fact, that has become so powerful that in the 7th District of Georgia – which includes Gwinnett County, where a big chunk of Asian Americans live. Uh, three of the candidates are, in fact, Asian Americans. I believe it's two, two of them, so yes. David Kim, Kim, and Kim and Ethan and Kim. Fan. I thought there was another one. Um, so think about that. that they, they are now catapulted to the forefront of running for the Congress of the United States—that right. that is the power of the voice. That's the right. power of the vote uh, to move forward. Now, I, I hope Ethan's going. I'm a big fan of Ethan Pham. I hope Ethan wins. Um, I think he's got a legitimate chance at at shutting down uh, Rob Woodall, whose base of support is no longer in Gwinnett County. Right. It's going to be up in Forsyth County. But it's it's the voice that's important out there. That's right. Um, yet in Georgia, we just we have a governor governor's candidates and the GOP just just. Ignore it. Right. You just think these people are irrelevant, uh, and yet we know uh, from the facts. We go back to the HB eighty seven debate back in two thousand and eleven, and we see what happens when you alienate immigrants. Right, uh, the economy suffers, agriculture tanks, uh, and you you give Georgia a black eye. Right, uh, you know it's funny. You've got Governor Deal who has seemed to have really backed off. Some of the anti-immigrant sentiment that he had early on in his administration, particularly when he signed HB87, which he knows today he never should have signed. Um, and now they want to attract Amazon, a company with literally thousands of immigrants that work for it. Right. You really think you're going to get Amazon? No. <laughs> zero chance. There's zero chance. Uh, and, and and the, the Georgia politician's stance on these issues is what drives that. You want to be the number one state for business? You can't hate on immigrants no. because that is where the growth of Georgia is coming from. Right. I mean, that's where the growth of Georgia is coming from. It's really just stunning to me that that such politicians could be so blindsided. Or maybe, you know, obviously everybody tends to ameliorate in the general election. But how can you ameliorate from a bus that that says, Follow me to Mexico, rapists, murderers, right. and child right.
2: molesters? Right. And another one of the candidates uh, for governor, Brian Kemp, uh, recently put out an ad on TV that had him uh, bragging about his big truck just in case he has to take the illegals home himself.
1: Yeah. Uh, Brian Kemp is too dumb to be governor. I said that publicly. Uh, He's literally – He is less qualified to be president. I mean, to be governor than Donald Trump is to be president of the United
3: States.
1: (laughs) He has literally no qualifications to run the state. Uh, At least Cagle's done something uh, as far as lieutenant governor. Although, you know, Casey again, they're 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 pointed towards who votes in GOP primary? much like Abrams and Evans are pointing to who votes in Democratic, in, in Democratic primaries. primaries. One of the things I love Stacey Abrams so much about is she's trying to get more people to vote in right. primaries. Whether they agree with her or not, she's getting more people to vote. And while the, the GOPers are trying to get less people to vote in primaries, they want fewer people to vote in, in the general. Um, because they know the more people that vote the less chance of their crazy ideas from the 18th century, and 19th century and the nativists and the know-nothings have have no chance of winning the day, right? Uh, and, and I hope whichever Democratic candidate does, and I hope it's Stacey Abrams, uh, because I support Stacey Abrams, uh, that uh, her 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 voice is loud and clear about the things said and done in this GOP primary, right? Um, now you, you know Hillary Clinton took a lot of heat for uh, calling some of Trump's supporters the deplorables. So the deplorables people wear that proudly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I'd be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if I was also a Christian and believed that was deplorable. Right. Uh, and I mean, Hillary clearly ran one of the worst camp- presidential campaigns in modern American history. Uh, but at the same time, she also pointed out uh, what other people were afraid to say: that we cannot allow intolerance uh, and and prejudging and disrespect be the political discourse of the day. Right that all that does is denigrate us as a country. Let's take our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio.
3: Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Shall we know those hoy? Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano o tiene una oferta de trabajo, nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar ¿Qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración? Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visitenos por el Internet at www.immigration.net.
4: This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the segment, today, the segment today on
1: the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We're delighted to have Raymond Portalon with us here today talking about both DACA and his history and what immigration means in our modern society. I want to ask you about what uh, the um, White House uh, Chief of Staff said about immigrants today. I don't know if you've heard this or not. Uh, I haven't. Let, let's, let's listen to what John Kelly had to say. John Kelly, Kelly is, I don't know if you know this or not, is not a Native American name. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> it's not a Native American name. Um, said this, quote, uh, talking about immigrants today. Uh, but they're also not people that would easily assimilate into the United States, into our modern society. They're overwhelmingly rural people. In the countries they come from, 4th, 5th, and 6th grade educations are kind of the norm. They don't speak English, obviously. That's a big thing. They don't speak English. They don't integrate well. Well, they don't have skills. Wow. That is the chief of staff to the president of the United States. Wow. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to... You know, to think about this, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of strange.
2: I don't even know how to respond to that.
1: Uh, well, one, one person did. Uh, one person uh, on the, on the, the interweb uh, is a professional genealogist. Uh, she, is, she called herself a genealogist for the resistance. And so she did uh, John Kelly's genealogy. Uh, And so she had something really interesting to say about it. Um, But because General Kelly's grandfather came to America uh, in 1880 or so, and uh, by uh, 1910, uh, the census reflected he still didn't speak English. (laughs) So uh, we talk about who the deplorables are. Uh, John Kelly is one of those guys who clearly does not know his own history. right? Uh, And we know the people that don't know their own history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, But Raymond, here you are. uh, Your first language is not English. Right. I mean, you spoke Tagalog.
2: I spoke Tagalog. Tagalog is your
1: first language. But here today, uh, I don't know how well your Tagalog is today, Uh, but your English is, uh, of course, perfect, because (laughs) this is is now your first language. Right. You're like my dad. My dad uh, was uh, born in the United States, but uh, his parents had only recently immigrated from Germany. And his first language, until he went to school, was German. Mm -hmm. That's what he spoke. Uh, But when he died uh, uh, six years ago... Not, I mean, his German was nonexistent. It's just gone. It's just gone Uh, because English was his language. He, America was the country he grew up in. Despite the fact that he grew up going to German events, and even as a young man, he would do lots of things that were very focused on Germany, and that goes away. Right. Um, I imagine there's not a huge Filipino community in, in Macon. It,
2: it's not huge,
1: no. It, I imagine there's your family and three others or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but initially your parents probably hung around with other Filipinos. Right. But today that's probably not the
2: case. No.
1: That's how people go. You know, you know, People like John Kelly judge everybody by the dude who just showed up at the border right. asking for asylum. When that's simply not the case. Right. Uh, people come here uh, for a lot of different reasons. But more than anything, they come here to be Americans. Right. Uh, And so some of them takes a little bit longer than others. uh, But you and I meet every day with people that are new Americans or want to be new Americans, Uh, and they bring a sense of optimism, uh, hope, uh, and joy to the process. Um, uh, One of our colleagues, Kirti, uh, came in last night. And was overjoyed over this case that she'd been working on for a decade.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the person's green card had literally just been approved that day. And that person was, would you come to dinner with me so we can celebrate? This is the best day of my life. Ten years to go through the legal immigration process. Right. Uh, this is what we do every day. Uh, we help make America. And here's John Kelly denigrating immigrants. Uh, it is, it's uh, It's sad. Right. And yet these are the people that are currently running the United States. Right. Uh, they're doing things like separating mothers from children.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, where John Kelly said something, something to the effect, well, the kids go to foster care or whatever.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, who cares if you separate a 2-year-old from their mother or an 8-month-old from their mother or a mm-hmm. 10-year-old from their mother? Who cares about
2: that? I did hear about that.
1: I mean, that, mm-hmm. this, this is, for some people, the very definition of evil. Uh, and we hear a lot about times, you know, evil evil lives as long as good men do and say nothing.
3: Mm-hmm. This
1: is why it's our obligation to speak out, uh, to speak loudly and clearly, uh, to try to get, to kind of convince people that this is not who we are as a country. Right. Um, you know, uh, how most Americans uh, who can't trace their ancestry to the Native Americans think that cutting off immigration today is good for our country, it, it, it just boggles my mind. Uh, or those that say, Raymond, why don't they just come legally? Well, Raymond, why don't they just come legally?
2: Hey, the process isn't as simple as people would think.
1: I thought you could just go to the post office and fill out a form.
2: No. Get a no. green
1: card. Isn't that how it works? People are so lazy they just won't even try to become a citizen. Nope.
2: Common misconception. You can't do it. In order to qualify for citizenship, first you have to have a green card. For five years? For five years. And so how do you get a green card? And to get a green card, um, you have to qualify under a very specific bucket of the law. You can come through your family, through your employer, through the diversity visa, which is also on the chopping block, mm-hmm. by the way, or um, or through the asylum or the refugee Well, program. Trump wants
1: to eliminate family-based immigration. Right. People say, no, he doesn't. Well, no, actually – he does. Uh, my friend Alex Naraste is uh, at Cato. He uh, writes a number of yeah. great articles uh, from an economics yeah. and financial aspects on immigration.
2: Mm-hmm. He's great. Somebody, he know somebody you
1: know, ch- Alex yeah. is just awesome. And uh, he said somebody coming on Facebook, Well, you know, uh, why don't you just come legally? You know, mm-hmm. well, like, well, they can't. <laughs> they can't. Yeah. Uh, when when if you're Mexican, you got to wait uh, 165. Or Filipino, you got to wait 165 years to get a green card through your brother. Mm-hmm. You know that category is useless. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you want to eliminate, like the Trump administration does, all their goal is to eliminate legal immigration. Let's be clear. Oh no, he doesn't. Oh yes, he does. Trump does not favor legal immigration. I don't know whether he hates his wife that much or he doesn't like his in laws. But for example, we we clearly it's clearly Melania sponsored her parents Mm -hmm. clearly. Melania sponsored her sister mm-hmm. for a green card. That's how they got green cards. Trump wants to eliminate both those categories. Maybe he hates his in-laws. I don't know. Uh, I imagine they must hate him at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's what they're talking about. Right. Eliminate family-based immigration and take employment-based immigration and basically make it impossible to immigrate to America unless you have a Ph.D. at 29. Mm-hmm. Because that's the criteria, basically, to immigrate to the United States.
2: Or if you have a million bucks.
1: They want to do away with that, too. They want to do away with that, too. So it is a – as well as the lottery, which has been the primary source of African and Eastern European-based immigration to America for the last 25 years. Um, If we look back at the country today and compare it to 1990, where are we? We are a much stronger country financially. We are a much uh, more diverse country. Uh, we are a much more educated country. Uh, we are a much more powerful country. Why? Well, it's not because of native population growth, because from 1990 till today, there has essentially been no native population growth. It's been all immigration. And how do you compete against countries like China? Well, I guess we don't have to compete with them anymore, because apparently we're giving them jobs. We're making China great again. That's what Dr. Trump announced yesterday. <laughs> but we're Sunday in the morning. But what we're really trying to do here is keep America competitive internationally with countries like China and India, uh, whose populations are three to five times more than ours. You can't compete if you're too small. Right. You just can't. That's just the nature of the beast, uh, especially internationally. Uh, so we are really looking at. Uh, A president who was trying to dismantle just this week, he announced that uh, the administration announced that uh, student visa holders who have in the past not accumulated unlawful presence if they fell out of status will now begin to accumulate unlawful presence whenever they commit a status violation, even if they don't know it. A status violation can be dropping a class before you add a class and falling below the 11 credit hour threshold, and that gets automatically reported to the of us, and, you, and the school might not even tell you. And you keep going to school and graduate, and all of a sudden, you're out of status. Mm. You're screwed. Uh, and so it's uh, these types of changes uh, are coming down from the nativists, the pro-abortionists, and the anti-immigration people that Trump has put into control in his administration. Right. Uh, and it, it is, uh, uh, to, to use the president's own words, it's hashtag sad. It's hashtag sad. Well, Raymond, this has been a great show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having uh, me.
1: It has been a great show because I think what, what you provide here is a voice, uh, for those like you. You are not alone. You're not the only kid like this. There are 700,000 others. Now, here's the right. sad part about DACA today. Uh, we, when, a, when a, Obama announced DACA, we knew there was 1.8 million potential applicants. Only 900,000 ever applied. Only mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. Today, there is a chance to extend DACA, to extend it for two years, and people aren't taking advantage of it. Less than 15%. What do you have to say to them? It's a closing What do you say to those that have DACA now?
2: Should they renew? Everyone who has DACA right now should renew because we don't know what's going to happen with the program.
1: File it today. Get your final two years. This is Chuck Cook and Raymond Portolan on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation, Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums. Tours and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport transport.
4: This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare Liberty Healthshare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. on or call toll free 1-800-714-6993 today. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. You're
0: listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.